So glad you're here with us today as I will continue my sermon series on the divine signs of Christ. There are seven of them in the Gospel of John. Today we'll be on the fifth one. And here Jesus will feed uh, the multitude. He will speak about grace. He will speak about salvation. He will speak about eternal security. Uh, and this is an amazing miracle. As you know, Jesus is there, and we're told that there were 5,000 men. Most theologians believe that there were probably 15 to 20,000 people on the hillside. And so as the day had progressed and it was getting later, uh, they were hungry, and so the disciples, in their own inimical style, said, let them go home. Let them go home and eat. You know, let them take care of themselves. Isn't that really how the human spirit is? Let them take care of themselves. But you see, Jesus says, no, no, no. We're going to feed them. With what? Well, go see who has something. Imagine that. Go look at the food cart that's coming along down the road. <laughs> so they find this young kid who has five loaves and two fishes. They bring it to Jesus. And here it is. This is what we have, 20,000 people, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, he prayed over it. Then he said, put it out, give it to them and feed the people. Well, you know the miracle. 20,000 people are fed. Uh, and what was left over were baskets of food that was left over. As you see the power of God descend in this way, in such a powerful manifestation of the divinity of Jesus, who... But God could do a miracle like this. It's incredible. Uh, and so Christ, in the midst of this miracle, is now going to speak to people who really don't embrace him. They look for the material expression of what they can get. They want to get fed. But, they, but there's a more profound food, a spiritual food. And Jesus is going to speak about that. And so if you look at John chapter 6, verse 9... You see how this miracle begins. Jesus had asked them to go see what's available. Uh, and the response is, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? I love the way that's written. The loaves were small. The fish were small. But God is big. God is big. And so while Jesus feeds these people for practical purposes, uh, they had traveled far, and they were hungry. He now teaches them and feeds them in a profoundly deeper way about the spiritual lessons for God uh, and what only he could satisfy, and that's the essence of this lesson for us today. And so as we begin to drill down on this sermon, there are several conclusions that we can draw about Jesus himself uh, from this miracle. First, we notice the overall compassion of Jesus. He was compassionate. I don't care that there's 20,000 people up on the hill. We're not going to send them home. They need to be fed. Their physical needs need to be met. And so Jesus meets their physical needs. He saw their hunger, and he refused to let it go unabated. Second, in this story, Jesus would use other people to bless others. What a lesson that is. He used the young boy. Uh, who would become a great blessing uh, in his gift. He uses the disciples who go out and spread the food around and are part of this miracle. That's the lesson for you. Jesus wants to use you to bless others. That's how God works. That's how the gospel is spread. Third, 
Jesus is big enough to surpass any human expectation. You got that? You can't think big enough to go beyond what God can do. Uh, and that's the essence of this lesson. And finally, nothing we face is too big for our God. I don't care what it is, whether it's a health issue or a financial issue or a relationship issue, nothing that you're facing is too big for your God. This story certainly proves that. It is the essence of the fifth sign of the divinity of Christ. But, and there's always a but, after the people ate, they clearly did not recognize their greater spiritual need. They did not recognize that Jesus was their Messiah, and so Christ rebukes them uh, because they hungered for a simple meal instead of hungering for the bread of life. Look at John 6, verse 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They're looking only for what they can get, the material aspect of what they think they can get, instead of understanding that God has given them a deeper, more profound, eternal life, a bread of life that will last forever. And so here Jesus is exposing the basic aspect of human nature. People look for the meat that perisheth. People look for materialism. They look for power. They look for money. They look for wealth and all things. They look for acquisition and acquiring things. Uh, and by this nature, they are craving earthly bread, bread that will perish, material things that will perish. Uh, they do not ask for the bread of life, but rather for the crumbs of materialism. Uh, and Jesus is rebuking that spirit, and it's the same today. So many of us are, are caught up in what we can get in terms of materialism, recognizing that even if we live to be 100, at some point we got to go like this. Let it go. It's no good. It doesn't do you any good. And so the accumulation of material possessions all lead to perishment, all of it. Even entertainment, and so many people today are caught up in entertainment, uh, fails to deliver lasting satisfaction. They follow celebrities. They obsess about the news and about the media. They spend hours and hours in front of television screens obsessing about the false images that are projected. But Jesus rebukes it all. He feeds the multitude and rebuked them because they, like us, were inclined to look only for material things. They saw, here's a guy who can do this, who can multiply bread. Let's hang around with him. Let's be with him because no telling what he can give us, things that we need instead of recognizing, no, he's giving you something deeper, more profound. And so we, by nature, and this is important, this is an important part of this sermon. It's an important part of this message from Christ. By our very nature, we are incapable of choosing eternal life. We are incapable of choosing salvation. We can do nothing without the grace of God. And let me amplify on that. I know some people say, well, I thank God I had the faith to reach out to God. No, you didn't have the faith. 
You understand? Let's be theologically correct. It's not your faith. It's the faith that God gave you, all right? When he saw the dissolute nature that you had, but that you recognized you were lost, he gives you the very faith to reach out and say, I need a savior. You understand? That's why this is so critical. And so we need the grace of God in order to be saved. And the scriptures clearly teach that. Look at Romans 3, verse 10. It is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the nature of humanity. No one on their own would seek God, all right? All of us come from a depraved nature. And so Jesus is teaching the bread of life in order that people recognize that they're depraved, that they're lost, that they can't come to God unless they have the grace of Christ himself to be able to come to God. And so after rebuking the multitude for wanting bread that perishes, and by the way, the bread that, what they wanted here was not just the bread that perished, they wanted him to be a political leader. That's what they wanted. That was the material aspect also. Look at this guy. Look what he can do. He could be our soldier. He can be our warrior. He can throw off the boot of Rome. No, Jesus wasn't interested in throwing off the boot of Rome. All right? He was interested in saving their souls and bringing them to salvation. And so Jesus teaches about the extraordinary power of the bread of life. And while the crowd still did not understand this, uh, they asked Jesus, they asked him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? What shall we do that we might do the works of God? The people believed they had to do something to merit eternal life. Now, this remains true even today. There are entire religious denominations who ent whose entire infrastructure is settled upon the fact that people are working their way to heaven, that people need to do good works in order to go to heaven. You understand? Well, let me break it to you like this. If you're not saved, you could decide to give all your goods to the poor. You could then get on a boat and go to India and spend the rest of your life in a leper colony. And at the end of your life, if you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, you will not go to heaven. Oh, John, that's so severe. It's not John saying it. It's not John saying it. It's Jesus saying it. And so the, the, the general human condition is that we ought to be able to work our way to eternal life. Look, God, look what I'm doing. Take notice of me. Look at the money I'm giving away. Look at the time I spend. Yes, that's all good. And there will be a time where God will reward those efforts in heaven. We know that. But you are not saved by those works. You are saved simply and solely by your faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus responded to this uh, mentality uh, in John 6, 29, where he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it, to believe in the one he has sent. Do you notice how Jesus always makes it straightforward and simple? 
Just like he spoke to the thief on the cross, this day, this day you will be with me in paradise. You don't see Jesus saying, oh, I have this book I'd like you to read. It's Theology 101. It's very complex. You need to have all these doctrines memorized. You understand? And I'm not putting down the memorization of doctrine. I'm the last person that would do that. But you understand this. Look at how simple it is to be saved. The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. And you have seen that over and over again in the signs of Christ, his divinity. The bread of life could only be received by believing in Jesus Christ. Uh, Eternal life only comes from believing in, in Jesus. Salvation cannot be earned. You have that? It cannot. It is something that is received only through belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Our flesh counts for nothing. Uh, and here's what Ephesians 2.8 says. Faith is not a work. It is a gift of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The very faith that you have to believe in God was God's gift to you. He gave it to you. He saw that you recognized that you were lost and dissolute. And so he gave you the very faith that, that you have. Look, people believe by nature that they merit salvation through good works. Nobody merits salvation through good works. We're all lost, all right? Our, our spirit is, is disreputable in every way. Uh, and still, even today, there are a number of Christians who come and believe that. We fall into this trap because that's how the world works. You understand that? You work today, you get paid today. You work better tomorrow, you get paid more tomorrow. But this is not the nature of God's economy. In God's economy, you, you only get to heaven based on the free gift of what God gives you. Uh, and this is critical to re- recognize this. And so in the context of this fifth sign, Jesus teaches that salvation is unconditional and an unmerited gift of the Father. Uh, Jesus also underscored the power of the foreknowledge of God. Now, let me drill down on this for you. We are not a Reformed church. We do not believe, as the Reformed church believes, and we're, we don't castigate that, but the Reformed church believes that God has predestined and predetermined who would be saved and who would not be saved. We don't do that. We look at John three sixteen and read the words very simply, all right? Whosoever, whosoever, not those who were predestined or predetermined, whosoever except Christ. And so as we understand it, we have to understand the nature of foreknowledge, meaning this, at the time God holds your molecules in his hand and is creating you who you are, he sees in that molecular structure what your decision is going to be for him. This is unbelievable. He can see what I'm going to do beforehand. Of course, you saw that in every way with Jesus. He sees that. And so in his foreknowledge of what you will do, he then makes certain that he gives you the faith to accept him. Now, the proof of this is a very simple aspect that God still allows us to have free will is Judas. 
You remember at the Last Supper, and at the Last Supper, Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew Judas was the one who was going to betray him. And yet he takes the sop, which in the Middle East was that honor given to the person who was being honored at the feast. He takes the sop, which was bread, uh, dipped in the very sauce of the meal. And he gave the, gave the sop to, Jesus, to Judas. Why? He was saying to Judas, don't do this. You don't have to go down this path. You don't have to betray me. He was saying to him, don't go there. Now, is that predestination? No, it's foreknowledge. He'll do everything that he can that you be saved. And Jesus is underscoring this. Uh, and so you see this. Uh, Jesus knew, even as he did the miracles, even as he had preached to the multitude, he knew that there were some from the beginning who knew that they would not believe and would betray him. Uh, and you see this in John 6, verse 64. He, Jesus said there, yet there are some of you who do not believe. He's speaking to the multitude. There are disciples there also who he's speaking to. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. There's foreknowledge. Christ had that even as he walked in the world. He went on to say, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. How about that? It's too hard, Jesus. This is too hard. Your words are too hard. Uh, and, and I can't accept it. And, and many of the disciples walked away, not the twelve but many other disciples. And so the multitude also would walk away. Uh, and so here's the thing that you need to do and be aware of. God knows what you will do with him before you were created. He knows. He sees the future. He has foreknowledge in every way. Uh, he knows who will believe and who would not. Uh, and as a result of that, Jesus is not surprised when people walk away. Uh, and that he was not surprised that Judas would betray him. This is an important uh, factor for you to understand. And so I don't want you to fall into that trap. Just look at John 3, 16. Whosoever, without limitations, without parameters, whosoever. And so our job is to go out into the lost world, not to determine who's predestined, but rather to give the word of life the bread of life to a lost world. Uh, and so here's another important aspect of this sermon, of what Jesus said. Jesus also said that those who took in the bread of life would never lose it. Once you accepted the bread of life, no one, no power, no authority could ever take you out of the hand of God. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Let's understand this. Look at verse 56 in John chapter 6. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. There it is. Your ancestors died because they didn't have the spiritual bread that I provide. Now, believing in me, in my flesh, and in my blood, you will live forever, and you will never lose this gift. Now, as you can understand, these words are profound. 
In some way, they're difficult to understand. And so a violent argument breaks out uh, in the multitude uh, because people didn't understand what he meant. Their, their perceptions of what Jesus said remained at a materialistic level. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How can we eat his flesh? How can we drink his blood? You see how people are? Uh, they're just so down in the dust and not raising their eyes to what God wants. Uh, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Uh, and so Jesus then marks out this phrase by saying, I tell you the truth. And whenever you see Jesus say that in scripture, underline it, because it means it's a point of emphasis. And so he's saying, look, I'm giving you the bread of life. This is not the physical bread, but it is the spiritual bread. Jesus is speaking of his coming death, that he will die on the cross for us. He will give us his life for those who personally appropriate him. Uh, just as good food and drink sustain our bodies in this world, the real spiritual food, the, the food of Christ himself, accepting him, sustains us spiritually. This becomes an important statement uh, in theology from Christ, indicating that, number one, salvation comes only by faith. Number two, it comes only by Jesus himself. And number three, that eternal life is only given to those who follow him. Look, when you talk to people about coming to faith in Christ, don't be ashamed of saying that they have to accept Christ, that there's no other way to heaven. When I always say this, I say to people, look, it's not my opinion. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you the word of God, the Bible, all right? No man cometh to the Father except through me, period, end of sentence. That's it. I don't care about your philosophies. I don't care about how generous you are. I don't care about your works. None of it amounts to anything all that matters is have you accepted Christ Jesus. That's the essence of the message that we have to give to a lost world. Uh, and here's the point, as Jesus is saying here. Once you come to faith, once you embrace Jesus, you're there forever. Just as you didn't earn your way for salvation, you can't earn your way out of the hand of God. You got that? That's important to remember. All right? That's important to remember. And so here's the thing. As the people hear this, the multitude, the thousands, there are other disciples, they find it totally unacceptable. How can this be? Uh, besides the hostile Jewish leaders, many of the Galilean disciples also turned away. Uh, their popular enthusiasm for Jesus uh, as a political messiah was then over. They realized this guy doesn't want to take on Rome. He doesn't want to fight the boot of Rome. He's got a whole different agenda. And you know what? We don't need that. We're Jews. We're Jews. We got Moses. We don't need him. If he's not going to be our warrior, our political warrior, not recognizing that Judaism had collapsed, that it had become eroded, that everything that Jesus is telling us is that it had failed, and now only through Jesus Christ would you have life eternal. Yes, yes, he was a great healer, but his words are a hard teaching. Who could accept it? Who could obey it? Who could submit to this? How could they personally appropriate him? And you know, Paul understood this well because he wrote about it in Corinthians. He was aware uh, of the grumbling 
Uh, and Paul wrote uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 23, that for the Jews, Jesus had become a stumbling block. A stumbling block. You say to me, how could it be a stumbling block? Because in their minds, they were waiting for a political messiah. They were waiting for a warrior. And this poor man, carpenter from Nazareth, didn't cut the bill. This isn't how we view our God. And so it was a stumbling block. Many of them never came to faith. Paul also wrote that for the Greeks, uh, Christianity was foolishness. Foolishness, why? Because the Greeks, all their heroes were mighty warriors, mighty gods. And yet here is this Jesus who will willingly go to a cross. What kind of hero is this? What God puts himself on a cross in order to save his people? Only Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of what Christ is and what he means to us and what it means to come by faith. That's why we can only come by faith. You can't intellectualize this. It doesn't make sense. Why would God himself allow God to be crucified and put on a cross? It doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't have to make sense because you have a puny mind. You don't think like God who has a greater plan for the universe. This is how God works. And he knew that only through a perfect sacrifice that once and for all could humanity be saved. And that perfect sacrifice had to be by God himself. And so from the very beginning, Jesus knew well, which followers and believers would stay and which ones would remain unbelievers. This is another aspect of his supernatural knowledge. Uh, and Jesus taught that divine enablement was necessary for people to come to faith. I want you to understand that. You've come to faith because Jesus gave you the faith. Jesus reached across eternity and gave you the faith through grace that allowed you to become a Christian and to follow Christ. And he gives you that every day. And he holds you in his hand. And he refuses to let any power or authority take you out of his hand. You are saved for eternity. That is the nature of eternal security. And so here you see the unbelieving crowds are evidence that the flesh counts for nothing. Make a point of understanding that. Our flesh counts for nothing. And so his rejecting their desire to make him a political king, uh, his demand for personal faith, uh, his teaching on atonement, his stress on the total inability of humanity and on salvation coming solely as a work of God, all proved to be unpalatable for the masses. They couldn't accept it. And so Jesus then framed the question uh, to the remaining 12 disciples who were there after the crowd dissipates. And you would have thought after this great miracle, thousands would come to Christ. But you see the nature of materialism even in those ancient days. And so Jesus said to the remaining 12 disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? You can imagine Christ saying that. You don't want to leave too, do you? Uh, and he used that occasion to refine their faith. He was making them recognize what their faith was, how strong their faith was, what their commitment was. They did not fully understand his words. They didn't understand giving his flesh, 
giving his blood. They didn't know that he would go to the cross. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that after he died, he would be raised again on the third day. They didn't understand any of that. But Peter responds as a spokesman for all of them and gave his confession of faith in John chapter 6, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the message you have to give to your family, to your friends, to those in your country club, to those who are your neighbors. Only Christ has the words that will give eternal life. You have to convey this. You're called to do this, just as the disciples were doing this. You must personally answer the question that Jesus raises here. Am I chasing after bread that perishes? And there's so many good people who do this. Yes, they believe in Christ, but their faith has been watered down. They're sold out on money and wealth and possessions, constantly looking to aggregate more and more. None of it counts. None of it counts. I repudiate it. I ask God to speak to my heart on this very issue, that whatever he gives me, it's his will. If he makes me wealthy, that's his gift. If he makes me poor, well, then maybe he wants that. My father used to say on this issue that uh, God had determined that he would be a poor man all his life. And he accepted that because he said he recognized that if he, were, if he were a wealthy guy, most likely he wouldn't be pursuing God. Most likely he wouldn't be preaching in church. Well, I would beg to differ about my dad. But that's the nature of so many of us. As soon as we're blessed, as soon as God blesses us, where are they? Where are they? Well. Do I have to go further beyond, well, well, you know how it is. But don't you be that way. Don't you be that way. You embrace the bread of eternal life. You embrace Christ Jesus. You embrace the bread that will never perish. Uh, and you understand that you didn't earn your salvation. He gave it to you. And so the question is, have you embraced those faiths? Have you walked with that faith? Are you giving that faith to others? Are you able to walk into a world, to your family, and to stand up and to let them see there's a man or a woman of God? I want to be like them. I want to be committed like them. I want to walk with them. You don't want to be like the multitude. Yes, we can see a miracle. Yes, we can see the power of God. But you know what? I want the bread from today. What am I going to do for the bread for tomorrow? You don't have to worry about the bread for tomorrow. He holds you in his hand. He holds you in his hand. You will never lack for anything. He is the one and true living son of God. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the impact of Christ Jesus in our lives. I thank you that you've saved us, that you saw the desperate condition that we were and that you and your sovereignty gave your faith and grace to us so that we could believe. Lord, help us to deliver those who are lost, to give this message to the world that desperately needs us. Strengthen us, Lord. Take us away from materialism, Father, and let us recognize that we can only live when we embrace you and the power of the bread of life 
in every aspect of our life. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, Lord.